I'd like to thank everyone from, for coming out, especially on a Friday afternoon. And I know it's cold, too, but uh, we have a really important uh, talk this afternoon, so I appreciate all of you, you coming. Uh, as some of you know, uh, the Mershon Center uh, and the Department of Psychology are trying to fill a chair in a conflict resolution and peace studies. And Nicole Shelton has been very gracious and agreed to interview for this chair. We're very happy to have her here today. Uh, Nicole is currently an associate professor at Princeton University. Uh, she did her doctoral work at the University of Virginia. She had a postdoc at the University of Michigan. And she works on uh, understanding prejudice and discrimination, uh, often from the target's perspective. Uh, she's examined social interaction between whites and ethnic minorities. Additionally, she's been exploring personality and situational factors that influence the development and maintenance of cross-racial friendships. She's also been studying issues related to the target's detection of and responses to prejudice and discrimination. Um, she's published in a variety of journals, the Journal of Social <coughs> and Personality Relationships, Personality and Social Psychology Bolton, Psychological Science, uh, Social Science and Medicine, and so on. She's been a visiting fellow at the Research Institute of Comparative Studies in Race and Ethnicity at Stanford uh, and at Russell Sage. And today she's going to talk about being face-to-face -face but not seeing eye-to-eye, -eye, divergent goals during intergroup interactions. Without further ado, Nicole Shelton. Good evening. It's really nice to be here. I've had a wonderful past two days um, meeting wonderful people in the psych department and fabulous people here at the center. So I'm very excited today to share with you some of the work that I've been doing. Um, I'm going to just talk about um, one line of my research today. And so what I thought I would do is try to give you, at the very beginning of the talk, just a general overview. It'll be very quick of my program of research. Sorry, I was like, did I do that? <laughs> um, but the bulk of the talk today will be on um, divergent experiences and divergent goals during intergroup interactions. And then we'll have time for discussion and, and questions at the end. So this slide here, if you were at my talk yesterday, you've seen it before. I promise it's the only slide that is a duplicate. Um, but this is the slide where I'm going to give you a little bit of an overview of the research that um, is being done in my lab at Princeton with my graduate students and collaborators. Um, so in this research on intergroup interactions, and I should say most, most all of my research on intergroup interactions involves uh, whites and ethnic minorities here in the United States. And what we look at is we look at their beliefs, their goals, and the expectancies that they bring to intergroup interactions, and how those beliefs, goals, expectancies influence what actually happens during the interaction. So in my research, we look at dyads, so two people in an interaction. And we're interested, again, in how those beliefs, goals, expectancies will influence each person's behaviors, whether they engage in approach type of behaviors or avoidance types of behaviors how those um, goals and expectancies will influence their affect, the emotions that they're experiencing during the interactions, as well as how they evaluate their partner. These are sort of um, what's happening in the interaction. We're, we're also interested in, in the consequences of what's happening in the, in the interactions for more long-term outcomes. So how do what happens in the interaction influence friendship development, intergroup trust issues, and prejudice reduction? So a couple lines of uh, research in my lab, we've looked at, and this is what I talked about yesterday, we've, we've looked at how 
individuals' meta, uh, meta-perception concerns. And this work really focuses on whites' concerns with appearing bias and ethnic minorities' concerns with being treated unfairly, how those concerns influence their behaviors, their affect, particularly anxiety um, when we're looking at meta-perception concerns, um, as well as um, evaluations of their partners, so how much they like those partners, and how those um, outcomes in the interaction really lead to, or not lead to, unfortunately, sometimes friendship development. Um, in other work, um, this is with a graduate student at Princeton, Deborah Sun. We are interested in, um, I have racial ideology there, it's probably better to say um, diversity ideology, so people's opinions about how um, whites and um, or different groups should interact with one another um, and whether the extent to which you should see race, um, this is sort of simplifying a little bit, or see race or celebrate differences. So we look at the extent to which whites endorse a colorblind um, ideology versus a multicultural ideology. How does that influence their behaviors during these interactions? And how does it influence the, the ethnic minority person who is interacting with them? How does it influence the way they actually perceive how much they like um, that white person who endorses that those ideologies, one of those ideologies? And then again, what are the long-term implications for issues such as um, friendship development, trust, and um, prejudice reduction? Um, another graduate student, Matt Trujillo and I, we've been doing some work on racial identity in intergroup interactions. And really here the work has been what happens in these interactions when people are miscategorized. So if you are Japanese, but your outgroup partner, your white partner, the person you're interacting with thinks you're Chinese, how does that actually influence the way you see that person? How does that influence your, your attitudes about um, whites in general? So that's some work that um, Matt and I are looking at, and I have centrality here because we're particularly interested in this for this ethnic miscategorization for people for whom the actual identity that they belong to is really important, is really central to their self. The work that I'm going to talk about today is on oppression management goals. Um, and really the first part of the talk is going to be on how whites and ethnic minorities actually ex have different experiences when it comes to affect and behaviors during intergroup interactions. And then I'll try to um, connect that to the work on their impression management goals. The argument being that because of the different experiences that they have in intergroup interactions, they actually come to these, these interactions with different impression management goals. Okay. So in some areas of life, people encounter the opportunity, they have the opportunity to interact with an outgroup member, with the same outgroup member on a daily basis. So we can think of in the workplace, um, you may be assigned to solve you know, a problem at IBM, what have you, you're white, you're working with somebody who is Chinese, or maybe you're an American and you've been sent abroad to work with somebody in China or, or Japan, and you're working on these project, this, this project on more than one occasion. You're a college student, it's your first year of college, you've been randomly assigned to live with someone of a different racial group, or maybe even you know, someone of, of a different country. So there's opportunities for people to interact with outgroup members on a daily basis. In some cases, these interactions may be pleasant, resulting in strong ties and friendships. In other cases, they may be stressful, and people may want to actually avoid interacting with that person as well as other people of that group um, in the future. We do have, in social psychology, we have some understanding of the factors that predict when people will engage in or avoid intergroup interactions, but we don't have a lot of information about what happens in these interactions over time. 
Okay, so in the first study that I'm going to talk about today, we were really just interested in what's actually going on when you're when you have to interact with the same person who's a different um, racial group, member of a different racial group than your own. What are these interactions like over over time? So we, I'm going to share with you in a second. We know that you know these interactions can be quite stressful, but do people emotions improve over time? Do they get worse over time? Are, um, are the experiences the same for whites and ethnic minorities, or do they diverge in these situations over time? Second, we wanted to examine how people's perceptions of their partner's behavior influence the dynamics of um, these inter interracial interactions over time. Just a little bit of background on um, some basics about intergroup interactions from what we know in psychology. People, as I've, as I've said before, people tend to avoid interacting with our group members. They avoid establishing close relationships with, with our group members. When the contact does occur, the interactions tend to be stressful. So people experience more negative affect in um, interracial interactions than in same-race interactions. Um, more negative affect tend to be um, a lot of anxiety, hostility, anger about interacting um, with our group members. They experience less liking and closeness with their partner. They make more negative judgments about their um, out-group partner compared to an in-group partner. And some of the work that I've done with Jennifer Richardson, we've shown that interracial interactions tend to be more cognitively depleting, so they're more exhausting, um, if you may, um, than compared to intra-group um, interactions. So the picture is quite clear that these interactions are often strained, as illustrated by the variety of negative um, effective outcomes. In addition to these outcomes, we also know that individuals display um, less positive behaviors, less positive nonverbal behaviors during interracial interactions compared to intraracial interactions. And this is really important because not just thinking about interpersonal interactions in general, it doesn't have to be intergroup or um, intragroup, just, well, both of those, we know that behaviors are really important for um, fostering um, harmonious interpersonal interactions. So Miles um, Patterson has done a lot of work on nonverbal behaviors in interpersonal interactions, and he's shown that in what he calls immediacy behaviors, things such as smiling, um, mutual gaze, a forward lean, they um, cause, these types of behaviors cause people to actually like their partner more, they actually experience more positive affect. But we also know, as I have listed here, that those are the positive behaviors are less likely to occur in intergroup interactions compared to intragroup interactions. So in our work, we wanted to examine if people's perceptions of their partner's behavior is the underlying reason why they experience less intimacy and more negative affect during daily intergroup interactions. Um, as I mentioned before, we, all, we, we also wanted to examine how these um, uh, interactions change over time. So sometimes um, initial impressions of someone may change across times. Their affective experiences with that person and behavior towards that person may actually improve. Sometimes it actually may take a downward turn. Um, and so we, ex we wanted to examine um, uh, these outcomes over time for individuals. We needed a situation where people were actually interacting with the same person on multiple occasions, so we turn um, to the college roommate situation. 
So these are people who are randomly assigned to live with someone of a different racial group. It's not their decision. They're randomly assigned by the university. These are freshmen. Just some basic findings on college roommate relationships. We know um, from some work by Burge that just in general, um, uh, people become less satisfied with their college roommate um, over time. So there's a, a decline from the fall to the spring in satisfaction. We also know from some of Russ Fazio's work here in psychology that interracial roommates, they are less compatible and they're, actual, they're also like most likely to dis, um, dissolve. Well, capitalizing on that, we said, okay, this is an opportunity that, um, you know, people obviously can, they're going to be staying in the same room. Um, they may try to avoid one another, but for the most part, they have to have some contact with one another, and this is a great opportunity for us to look at these interactions over time and to also look at how behaviors are playing a role in their experiences. So this is a diary study that I did with some, um, some of my, my colleagues and students at Princeton. In this study, we have, these are again freshman roommates randomly assigned. We have dyads, um, some mixed race dyads, meaning um, one, one person in the um, room is a white individual, the other person is an ethnic minority, and then we have some intra-group same race dyad, so white-white pairs as well as ethnic minority-ethnic minority pairs. And we invite them to, be, um, to participate in a study on the freshman roommate experience. We never say it has anything to do with race or ethnicity. They're just invited to participate in this freshman roommate experience study. They come in, this is at the very beginning of the semester, so we catch them very early. It's like usually the second week of school, they start the study. So they've had some contact, but they don't really know their roommate very well. They fill out some background measures, and then every day for the next 15 days, they fill out a questionnaire about the types of, uh, about the interactions they're having with their roommate, and then they come in after 15 days and they fill out some, some more questions. So I'm going to focus today on the diary portion. Those are the key um, measures that are important for this study. So every day for um, 15 days, they fill out a bunch of items, but these are the particular ones that we're interested in. So um, some items to, to get at closeness or intimacy. I like my roommate today. I felt close to my roommate today. All of these items are on a seven-point scale, where for like, I like my roommate today, one would be not at all, seven would be a lot. Okay. Um, how much, um, if you had to decide today, would you like to live with your roommate again um, today? Some questions to get at affect, and we separated them because in psychology it's important to look at the difference between positive affect and negative affect. So, you know, positive, happy, satisfied, excited. The, the questions are when I was interacting with my roommate today, I felt happy, satisfied, excited, and so forth. Um, angry, tense. And then we also, to get, to get at this notion of, um, you know, the, the behaviors, um, in a lot of my lab work, it's really easy to look at the behaviors because we just videotape them and then we have coders actually code the videotape for those behaviors I talked about earlier that Patterson um, mentioned as being good behaviors um, to facilitate interpersonal interactions. But obviously, we can't have video, well, I guess we could have videotapes in the, in the dorm room, but I don't know if my IRB would approve of that. Um, so what we actually did is we asked individuals to think about their roommates' behaviors. And so I'm rating my roommate in terms of how much my roommate smiled a, you know, a lot during our interactions, appeared engaged, was interested, was friendly. So these are the positive behaviors. But I also rate my roommate in terms of negative behaviors, things that we know from the nonverbal literature that actually um, 
you know, are, are not good um, nonverbal behaviors to have to facilitate a smooth interaction. So I fidgeted a lot. My roommate fidgeted a lot. Avoided eye contact was cruel. Okay. So I'm going to show you the data first. Um, this is for intimacy, so how much you liked your, part, your roommate and how close you felt um, to your roommate. The data here, these are for our white participants, our white participants with a white roommate, and our white participants with a minority roommate, and then you've got your minority participants. And really here, you just find a basic um, in-group preference that has been shown in the literature before. So for both whites and minorities, they're preferring, preferring to, um, or they, they experience more liking and closeness for an in-group member. For whites, it's here. For minorities, it's here. Then um, for an out-group member, right? If you look at the desire to live together again, you find very similar effects from past research that there's that in-group bias where people are preferring to live, if they, if they had to decide today, they prefer to live with their in-group roommate compared to the people who had an out-group roommate. Now, if you look at positive mood, this is when you start to see changes over time, and you also start to see changes, a, a divergent experience for whites and ethnic minorities. So i just orient you here a little bit. So this top line in these figures, these are minority roommates with minority, minority roommates with minority roommates. These are whites, whites. So these here are the intra-group um, pairs. And then here you have your whites with your minority roommate. And they are pairs, they're minorities with their white roommate. Okay? And what I want to draw your attention to first is the minority participants in this study. So for minority participants, for positive mood, when they have a minority roommate, their positive mood, this is across the 15 days, actually increases that slope. It actually goes up. There's a positive increase in, in um, there's a, you know, a significant increase in positive mood over time. But the minorities with a white roommate, there's a significant decline in positive mood over time. Now, if you look at this bar here, or this line here, these are the white roommates with the minority roommate. So these are the people who are paired up together. You see that the white roommates with the minority roommates, their positive mood is just stable over time. And so it's really interesting when you think about, well, these are the people who are in the room together. The whites are pretty stable over time, but the minorities are like, my gosh, they're going, you know, less positive mood over time. If you look at their perceptions of their roommates. Um, oh, let me, let me backtrack and say, we don't find um, this positive, when, when, we don't find this effect when you look at negative mood, okay? You don't find a decline like this for the minorities with negative mood. And I actually think that's really interesting because um, it's suggesting that, well, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. When I, let, me, let me stop there and just keep that in mind that you don't find that effect. Now, when we look at the roommate's positive behavior, so this is your perceptions of your roommate's positive behavior. You can see the effect is very similar. So just highlight the minorities, um, the minority participants, the minorities with a minority roommate. They perceive their roommate's behavior as becoming more positive over time. But the minorities with the white roommate, they perceive their, their roommate's behavior as becoming less positive over time. And when you look again at these two pairs, this, it, it looks like there's a slight decline, but it's not. It's just like that mood. It's just sort of stable over time. But again, so whites with the minority roommate, they're, they're perceiving 
their minority roommate's behavior is just being positive over time, but their minority roommate is seeing their behavior as being less positive over time. And one of the things, when you combine this with um, the negative behaviors, we just see an in-group bias effect. You don't see a, a change over time. So with the negative behaviors. And as I was getting to earlier, what I think is interesting is you, when you combine this with the negative mood, it's not that people are really, um, you know, behavior is becoming extremely negative over time and I'm just really, really in a bad, bad mood over time. It's just that the positive things are declining over time. It's not that the negative things are increasing over time. It's the positive things that are declining over time. We were interested in the notion of to what extent does the, um, your perceptions of your roommate's behavior actually explain the relationship between how, you know, the, the, the type of roommate dyad, meaning if you're in an intergroup situation or an intergroup um, situation, does that explain why intergroup um, uh, roommate pairs are experiencing less intimacy? And indeed, we find this mediation that the reason intergroup dyads are less intimate with one another, intimate in, in the sense of being close and they like their partner, is because of there's fear or there's uh, less positive, they perceive their roommate as engaging in less positive behaviors. We also see that mediation when we look at their desire to live together again, so the positive behaviors are a significant mediation, mediator of that effect. And you also see that the positive behaviors is a significant mediator of the um, a, a positive mood. And when we look at um, the mood difference for minority students, so this is that line that was going way down, you also see that what, what's explaining that decline in time is um, the perceptions of their roommate's positive behavior also declining over time. So in sum for this study, I think the, da the data certainly shows the importance of looking at nonverbal behaviors, doing intergroup interactions. People are picking up on how those subtle, you know, how much the other person is smiling at me, um, you know, uh, look like they're really interested in what I have to say. People are picking up on those things in these interactions and they do influ influence people's mood. Uh, they influence people's um, closeness to their partner. I also think it's important um, that these data show that you see those, those group differences. So in those intergroup interactions, if you think about positive mood, you see that there was, a, there was a change over time. There was a divergence for the way that ethnic minorities and whites were experiencing that situation when you think about positive mood. And certainly you also see that when you think about the positive behavior. So um, things for, for minority students, at least through their eyes, their whites' positive behaviors decreased over time, but for, for whites, their minorities' um, um, positive behaviors did not change over time. Okay. In some of the work that we are, so this was a study where it was just uh, the first 15 days, or not the first 15 days, but the very beginning of the semester, and it was just for 15 days. We've done a study now, and I'm on sabbatical, and I'm in the process of analyzing the data, but we've done a study where we actually looked at students over the entire semester. Now we didn't ask them every day. We just asked them once, once a week. So every Friday they filled out a questionnaire. It was for 13 weeks. Um, and so we can start to see, you know, whenever I show that line where things are just going down for the minorities when it comes to positive mood, it's like, well, how far is it going to go, right? And so we're starting to look at a longer period of time. 
We're also interested, what are the other implications of this? So what are some of the academic outcomes associated with this? If you're, uh, if you're a minority student and you are experiencing less positive affect with your roommate, you think that your roommate is engaging in less positive behaviors, are you really trying to avoid your roommate? Does it make it difficult for you to study in, um, in your room? Does that eventually influence your grades? So we're looking at some academic outcomes associated with these, um, uh, these roommate relationships. I want to switch gears now, and so this was about divergent experiences during intergroup um, interactions. I want to switch gears now and talk about divergent goals during um, intergroup interactions. So our research examines one potential obstacle to harmonious intergroup interactions arising from the, diff the divergent perspectives and experiences of whites and ethnic minorities. We suggest that these groups may have very distinct goals for interracial interactions, and these distinct goals have downstream implications for affective experiences during um, intergroup interactions. Now, research shows that most people, again, this is just an interpersonal interactions, most people have a desire to appear warm and to be liked. People also have a desire to appear competent and to be, um, and, and to be respected in, um, just in interpersonal interactions in general. So Susan Fisk has shown us in some of her work that people want to um, appear warm and competent and you know, people want to appear liked and respected. Like many motivations, these goals are most salient and activated when they are threatened. That is, when the person perceives a risk of being disliked or disrespected. Okay. And in such situations, a person may become really occupied with those goals and really motivated to fulfill them. We argue that interactions between whites and ethnic minorities, and the ethnic minorities here are particularly blacks and Latinos in the states. So interactions between whites and blacks and Latinos can threaten these particular social goals. And we argue that because of their position in society and the stereotypes associated with their groups, that whites and blacks and Latinos will place a differential emphasis on the goal to be liked and respected. So in American society, it's, you know, most of you probably know this, obviously, that there are many stereotypes associated with blacks and Latinos. Um, they're stereotyped to be incompetent, um, you know, to be lack worth, and obviously blacks and Latinos are aware of this, okay? More recent work in social psychologists have shown the neg negative stereotypes associated with whites and the stereotype is that whites are, are racist, they're prejudiced, they're biased, and there's research showed that whites are often aware that ethnic minorities have um, this view of them. There's some work done by Winslow that shows that whites assume that blacks who dislike them think they are prejudiced, and that blacks who think they are prejudiced dislike them. Okay? So, Given the different stereotypes about how people perceive the groups, as well as maybe some of the different experiences that whites and ethnic minorities, ethnic minorities, um, Latinos, and, and blacks are having, we made a very simple hypothesis, is that for minorities, when they enter intergroup interactions, they're going to have the desire to be respect more so than the desire to be liked. And for whites, they're going to have the desire to be liked more so for, um, than respect. And you won't see these different go divergent goals in same race interactions. Now, as I've mentioned, this is the work that we've been doing here in the States. Um, a woman by the name of Tamir, Tamara Sagi has done similar work with Arabs and Jews in Israel. I'm going to talk a little bit more about her research at the, at the very end, but her findings kind of map on to some of the work that I'm going to talk about here. 
So to test this um, hypothesis, we did a couple of studies. The first study was just very simple self-report type study where we had participants, um, these are uh, again wh uh, whites and blacks and Latinos, we had them imagine an interracial interaction and then after they imagined this interaction, we asked them some questions about um, liking and respect. And I'm going to present sort of, this is two studies uh, within study two, because in the first study, the questions that they at, we asked them were questions specifically um, using the words liked and respect. In the second study, we changed the liked respect to confident and moral. They certainly relate to respect and liking, but we thought these are the, the words that um, are associated more with the stereotype, um, with, the, with the stereotype that you know, um, blacks and Latinos are, are not competent. Okay, so people come in, um, they imagine interacting with a white or a minority partner in a social context or an academic context, and then they either, uh, at their, we ask them questions about respect and liking, or we ask them questions about competence and, and morality, okay? To give you a sense of the vignettes that we use, yeah, so this is a sample vignette. Um, this is a shortened um, vignette, but we used to say, Imagine that early in the semester, a professor assigns a class project. The pairs of students are, write, are to write up as a paper for a grade. The professor arbitrarily assigns students to pairs alphabetically by last name, such that most students are unacquainted with their project. You have been assigned to work with a white male sophomore who you have not previously met, and then it goes on. Now, we actually didn't put white male sophomore in red letters, but the idea was that if you were, you know, if you were, um, in the, if you're a white and you were in the same group condition, you got that. If you're a white in a intergroup intergroup condition, you got a black male, um, and then the the reverse, obviously, for blacks and um, Latinos. Another sample vignette that we use. So this was a the one I obviously just read was an academic context. We also use a more social context. So the same idea here. You're just getting randomly assigned to live with somebody. Um, again, not in in red there. <laughs> And then afterwards, um, we asked them questions about, depending on what study you were in, like respect or competence and moral. Okay, so this is the preferred impression of people. So this is for study 1A, where or 2A, I should say, where we're looking at being respected versus like. Higher numbers here mean you have a preference for respect over liking. In the same race condition, we didn't expect a difference, and we don't find a difference. So minorities and whites are equally. In, um, there's no there's no difference there. But for interracial situations, you see that uh, minorities are more concerned with being respected, whereas uh, whites are more concerned with being liked. And you see the same pattern even if you change the terms as, as opposed to using uh, respected and liked, we use competent and moral, and you see the same, you see the same pattern there. So the like-respect goals here map on quite nicely to some research that Ned Jones did on self-presentation, um, indicating that people who, that people employ different behaviors in order to be liked and respect. So he, Ned Jones and Thane Pittman did some research showing that when people want to be liked, when they want to be perceived as warmth in, 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 a, in a moral way, they will use ingratiation types of behaviors. And when people want to be perceived as competent or they want to be perceived as as in a respectful way, they will use more um, self-promotion types of behaviors. 
Uh, Jones and Pittman also argue that self-promotion is not the same thing as negotiation, and these behavioral strategies can actually be incompatible as pursuing one desired impression often undermines the other. Well, in this study, so the, the, the first study I showed you here, it was people's self-report uh, self-report um, impression management goals. We were interested in the extent to which we could capture these impression management goals in people's behaviors. So do whites ingratiate more than they self-promote? And do blacks self-promote more than they ingratiate doing intergroup interactions? So we did two studies. Um, the first study um, is, uh, again, this is sort of like study 3A and 3B. The first study was with white participants, and the second study is with black participants. The setup is pretty much the same. They come into the lab, and they tol they're told that they're going to have um, an interaction with an out-group person um, or an in-group person, okay, a white person or, or a black person. Um, but we, we tell them that we kind of are, you know, we're interested in communication channels and we're kind of rigging this up and so you're going to have this interaction via videotape exchange, okay? So they, they watch a videotape, that's how they know they're interacting with a white person or a black person. They watch a videotape of someone talking about themselves and then and the, the person was actually answering some questions. And then they answer those same questions, and they think the tapes are actually going to be exchanged. So they think their partner is actually going to see the tapes. Um, and then we had a, a whole bunch of undergraduate RAs actually um, uh, video, uh, code these videotapes in terms of ingratiation and self-promotion behaviors. So these are the actual specific um, behaviors that we had them code for. So ingratiation, and this again was uh, 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 Behaviors taken from um, Ned Jones and Thane Pittman's work. So, um, you know, appearing, how much did the person appear friendly, use flattery, smile, humor, um, noting similarities, maintaining eye contact, um, and then for the self promotion, um, mentioning achievements, they seemed very confident, um, they were in a more upright um, um, posture. What do we find in study 2A? Um, this is with white behaviors we find, or white participants, we find the effect that we predicted. In the same race interactions, um, they're equally likely to engage in self-promotion and ingratiation, but in the interracial condition, they're more, much more likely to engage in, in ingratiation than self-promotion, and we find the similar effect for blacks. Um, of course, it's just uh, slightly, I mean, it's reversed. Though blacks are more likely to engage in self-promotion than in ingratiation in the interracial interaction, and there's no difference in the same race interaction. So finally, um, we were interested in the consequences of having these goals for intergroup interaction. So people are bringing these divergent goals to the situation. What are the um, affective consequences of these interactions? In the, there's a model um, by Horowitz called the circumplex model of interpersonal behavior. And what he argues is that non-complementary reactions, so an unfriendly response to a friendly behavior, can be quite frustrating for individuals, okay? leading them to experience a host of negative um, hostility-related emotions. Okay? So if you think about the ingratiation and the self-promotion behavior, so when you're trying to get somebody to like you, you know, you're, as I was saying earlier, you're using humor, you're using flattery, you're sort of making light of the situation, 
that can come off as kind of patronizing, kind of disrespectful. So whites are behaving that way, but their minority partner actually want respect, and they're behaving in a way that's more reserved, more serious, talking about achievements. Well, that can come across as unfriendly, and you know, this person must not like me, he's not very you know, lighthearted. And so what, we're, what we try to argue in this study is that pursuing these different goals and not having those goals met because the other person has his or her own goal can actually lead to a host of um, negative emotional outcomes. Okay? So in this study, we had um, uh, diets come into the lab. So these are, in this particular study, we had white, white diets and white minority diets. The minorities are again um, blacks and Latinos. Unfortunately, we don't have minority minority diets in this study. We just have the same race diets or just white white diets. They came in and they actually interacted with one another. They didn't know one another before. We, came, they, we brought them together and we just told them, you know, um, have this discussion. We actually gave them two topics, two race related topics um, to talk about. Um, they talked for about 10-15 minutes and then after the interaction, we asked them a series of questions, but the key ones here is um, during the interaction, you know, how important was it for you to appear items associated with um, competence and items associated with being perceived as, as you know, getting the other person to like you, so fair, kind, open-minded, intelligent, capable, competent. And then we also asked them, um, uh, questions about the negative affect they experienced during, those, um, during that interaction, so how hostile did you feel, irritated at the other person, upset, so forth. What you see here, um, this is just replicating the uh, like, respect, or morality competence goals. Again, it's kind of missing a bar because we don't have the minority-minority pairs, but you, you get the, the basic effect I've shown you before in the interracial interactions. Whites have the goal um, to be uh, liked, and minorities have the goal to, be, uh, to appear competent. When you match that up with the affect that they're actually experiencing in the interaction, you see that, um, so this is the negative affect that you experience, you see that the more minorities pursued a competence goal, the more negative affect they experience, the more whites pursued a liking goal, a morality goal, the more negative affect um, they actually experience in the situation. Okay. So in summary, these data certainly show that across three studies using different um, self-report as well as uh, behaviors that there's a divergent goals. Um, people bring divergent goals in interracial interactions and these um, divergent goals are associated with negative affect. Now in wrapping up, um, I want to talk a little bit about the implications of this research for intergroup interactions. So Nabel, I think that's how you pronounce his name, and Nad Nadler, they have a model that they call the needs-based model of reconciliation for groups in conflict. And I think their work here really maps on to the work that I've been doing on like respect. They argue that people in high power positions, majority individuals, uh, perpetrators um, seek acceptance from their victims and low power people, minority individuals, victims seek empowerment for, from their perpetrators. And I think the empowerment, the acceptance really maps on to the notion of like and respect. 
they've done a, a series of studies um, using Jews and Arabs as well as Germans and Jews showing that when the high-powered group in those groups, when high-powered groups receive messages of acceptance and when the low-power groups receive messages of empowerment, they show a greater willingness to reconcile compared to when they don't receive those messages. And so if we think about this in terms of the like-respect, I think in our work, if we look at whites and ethnic minorities, again, blacks and Latinos in American society, perhaps that when they receive messages that their goals have been um, confirmed, so when they're, uh, if you're an ethnic minority and you think, oh, this person I'm interacting with actually does perceive me as in, in a competent way, um, I think they're more likely to be, to be willing to work together to improve intergroup interactions. They're probably more willing to interact with outgroup members over time. And a failure to have those needs met are probably um, really harmful for intergroup relations. There is work by um, Tamar Sagi, who's done some work on um, looking at the implications of, um, well, she, she hasn't really looked at the implications of these goals for disparities, but I think her work on ways that disparities are perpetuated actually play, um, map on nicely to some of the work that I, I've shown you here. So in Tamara's work, what she shows is that when people, when minorities and um, whites or people in minority groups um, and dominant groups focus on similarities in these intergroup interactions, Focusing on the similarities can actually create a pleasant intergroup interaction for both minority and the dominant group member. Okay, so focusing on the things that they have in common can actually create a pleasant interaction. But in her work she's shown, and I should say she's done this work with uh, uh, groups that she's created in the laboratory as well as, with, as well as with Arabs and Jews in Israel. So focusing on the similarities uh, that you have in common actually creates a pleasant interaction, but it can lead the minority in the, in the interaction to expect more positive behavior from the majority group member than the majority group member actually provides. And so she's done some studies where she has the minority and the majority group member in, you know, interacting with one another. They're talking about what they have in common afterwards they say, oh, this interaction was actually quite pleasant. I enjoyed interacting with this person. But then she also gives them a task where they have resources and they're able to allocate the resources. You can keep some of this for yourself or you can give some of what you have um, to, to your partner. Okay? And she asks the majority group member, they, they get to do that. Okay? They get to either keep the resources or to you know, give up some to their partner. The minority group individuals is asked, how much do you think that person is going to give to you, okay? Um, and how much is that person going to keep for yourself? When they are focusing on similarities versus a control condition where they're not focusing on similarities, minorities actually think that they're going to get a lot more than their majority members actually give them, okay? So in terms of the like-respect goals, if liking is the goal for whites, and one of the ways, if you think back to the um, behaviors that I talked about, one of the ways that people get others to like them is to talk about their similarities. I think this, you know, having these divergent goals could perpetuate the disparities that um, Tamara has shown in some of her work. In her work. And finally, I think um, the like-respect 
divergent goals have implications for intergroup trust. And this is something that my graduate student Hilary um, Bergseeker is interested in looking at. So some of the work that we know in social psychology, we know that relative to whites, blacks tend to perceive people who engage in self-promotion, I think I said that wrong, Relative to, yeah, relative to blacks, whites tend to perceive people who engage in self-promotion in a more unfavorable manner. They perceive them less trustworthy, evaluating them negatively, even when the self-promotion is truthful, is, is necessary. Blacks tend to distrust whites who display overtly friendly behavior, more so than other types of um, behavior. And we certainly know that whites' verbal friendliness and interracial interactions often doesn't um, lead blacks to see them in a positive manner. This is some of Jack DeVito's work. So if whites are distressing individuals who are self-promoting and ethnic minorities are distressing individuals who are ingratiating, you can see how this could be very um, problematic for intergroup interactions. And so um, Hillary is interested in looking at how these divergent goals will actually decrease, um, really, really in decrease intergroup um, trust. So I told Rick that I would actually keep this down. So I'm actually going to close now and just I acknowledge my wonderful collaborators on this project. So many of my graduate students and many of the fabulous research assistants who help with the data collection. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, no problem. Questions? I don't know who's first. Yes. So, um, uh huh. What comment is it? I think you could find further reinforcement for um, the framework you're developing in some of the uh, liberal democracy work. Okay. Where in people who do that experiments with sort of civic discussion, uh -huh. whether people enjoy it and want more of it, um, that there seems to be a disproportionately favorable response from uh, minority and low income participants. Uh huh. And the general uh, and the hypothesis is because even if they don't necessarily see uh, a direct impact mm -hmm. on civic life from the discussion, um, for them, simply an opportunity to be heard in a respectful setting mm -hmm. um, is a, a, a rarer commodity. Right, right. Um, so what I'm wondering is whether taking, let's just take your conclusion this is valid, uh -huh. um, whether we know that anything about how much this is effective by kind of status relations within the institution as opposed to the larger society. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, would this be any different for uh, minority students at a predominantly historically black college mm -hmm. versus, mm -hmm. you know, Latino students at the same college mm -hmm. or white students at the same college? Mm -hmm. Right. Any of those? Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think um, uh, I won't use the specific examples that you use, but I talked about the divergent goals at a conference recently and Lou Pinner does some research on um, with doctors and patients and he was interested if these divergent goals would play out in that setting when you have the white doctor and the, and the black patient. I'm not exactly sure that it would. I'm not exactly sure that, so you're exactly right in the studies that I've done, these are, these are college students, equal status individuals. But in that situation, there's a power dynamic. And I'm not exactly sure that a white person who has a lot of power over uh, the black person in that situation would really be concerned with appearing 
in a likable in a likable manner. I do think the minority still may be interested in uh, being concerned with being perceived as confident and respectful, but um, I, I'm not quite sure that it would play out the same way for the, the person in power in that situation. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes, gosh, sorry, yes. So the roommate studies definitely same sex. <laughs> and even um, these, these uh, the virgin girls stuff, it's always same sex. We haven't, oh, sorry. I was going to say, we haven't gotten into, an, in all of my interaction studies, we always make them same sex because I'm pretty sure that that's going to make a big difference um, in, in the findings. I just don't know how it's going to make a difference, and so we haven't, yeah. We've, we've looked for gender, so they're always same-sex diets, and we've looked at gender differences that way, and we don't find gender differences. But part of the reason I think it's, it's, a, it's a, a statistical power issue, because most of the students in our subjects are females, so it's a lot of female-female diets versus very few male-male diets. But we haven't looked at, you know, same gender diets and uh, mixed di gender dyads. I mean, I think it could be a little complex. You, the the whole black male, white female, romantic really, it, it could get really complex. So we haven't we haven't done that yet. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking about the Princeton undergrad population in terms of Indian Americans, Chinese Americans, and so on. Where probably you do often have roommates who are African right. American and Korean, right. for example. Uh, and I was wondering, you began with the ethnic minority and then you narrowed it to black and Latino in ways that suggest structural factors, you know, historical right. and demographic kinds of factors operating. Have you ever done a study that would take, for example, different Asian American minorities on campus just to see if you can parse out what it is about, what it is that defines minority yes. in these terms? No. Um, I would love to. <laughs> The problem is at a place like Princeton, <laughs> you could s the sample size is just so tiny um, to look at the different groups. A place like Ohio State would be great, um, <laughs> but we, uh, yeah, we just we just don't have we don't have the power, the statistical power um, to do that. I am doing a project with a woman at um, I think I mentioned it to you earlier. A woman um, at Fordham. It's a diary study, and these are kids in New York. It's not necessarily our intergroup contact. We're really interested in identity issues, but we do have the power there um, to look at the different groups. So not just Asian, but Chinese, Japanese. Um, but in, it, it's a whole different study. We're interested in um, how contextual factors make your identity salient and how when your identity is salient for positive reason versus negative reason, how does that influence your mental health outcomes? But we can start to look at differences, you know, depending on if you're Chinese, Japanese, and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm just going to go and then work my way back. <laughs> Yes, yes, yes. So we, yes, they are um, American students. They're African American students in um, the studies. Yes. Yeah. I was wondering oh. if mm -hmm. you have control for issues of class, income level, and family educational level. It would seem to me a Princeton undergraduate who's a third generation college student mm -hmm. who's African American might have some significantly different interactions than a Princeton undergraduate who's a 
Right. Yes. So um, in the roommate study, we have controlled um, for those variables, and you get the same effects. In the divergent um, goal studies, we, we didn't control. I wish we had. We actually didn't even measure um, social SES in, in those studies. But in the roommate studies, you get, this, you get the same effect if you control for social class. like there's a difference statistically it isn't a difference um, it looks like there is but these are kids I that would be quite problematic um, because we, we are kind of capturing them at the beginning and these are kids who are randomly assigned to you know be in this situation it looks like it is but statistically it isn't yeah so thank God because it would be a problem <laughs> Right, yes. And then the second question is, the thing that I thought was striking about those graphs, and I'd like to hear your comments on, is it seemed like the, the takeaway was that minorities paired with minorities get along right. swimmingly, right. and everyone else paired with everyone else the random assignment issue. So when I started doing this work, I talked to people in the housing um, um, department, and they assured me that in terms of race, that it is really just a random assignment. They do get matched up on some things such as smoking. They won't pair up people, you know, I'm a smoker and you're not a smoker. They do do some um, trying to mix people in terms of, um, you know, I'm a late, night, a, a, light, a late night studier and I'm an early morning person. They do try to do some pairings that, that way. But there's no reason for me to think that, like, the studying may be, you know, confounded with the race. They assure me that the random assignment is there for race. Um, in terms of what you're, what you're saying, so the, the second point about the decline, I, I, yes, there is, as I mentioned earlier, the, the study by Burge that shows that things just get worse over time, period, for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're same race or, or mixed race. Now, in our studies, um, yes, I agree completely for that, the minority and the minority. It's like, that's the best situation ever, right? But if you're looking at the, um, the in the intergroup situation, okay, it's actually that line for whites with minorities, it's actually just stable over time. It looks like it's slightly going down, but it's actually just stable over time. Whereas the, their, their partners, it is actually going down over time. Yeah. 
results would hold up outside the academia? That's let, me, a, let me just give you a, yeah. my thought here. Uh -huh. If you're at a Princeton, really high-performing institution, yeah. you come in as a minority, you come in as a, a white, and you get paired up, minority might want to prove to the white that I'm just as good as you right. and I belong here. Right. And, uh, you know, the question is, would this hold up in the military, right. sports teams, business environments? Right. Yes. So I, I think, um, I mean, this is a little bit what I was talking about with the doctor-patient stuff, but, you know, maybe not even bringing um, power status into it as explicitly as that. I mean, I, I think um, for many of these situations for the minority, I think that is a goal that's going to be across many many contexts. So even in the, you know, employees working together in a business. I think minorities are, are, are going to come into that interaction with the goal to be perceived as competent in a respectful way. Um, I think when they're interacting with, with other, uh, with, with our group members. I think it becomes a little bit more complex when you're starting to think about whites and the goal to be liked because I think in, in some of those situations like you know like the doctor patient and even in the workplace the white person not all the time but a lot of times in these situations is in a more powerful role than the minority person um, and so then I'm not exactly sure how that that variable that power um, variable that that status manipulation or status variable is actually going to deplay yeah mm -hmm. I do studies on that. <laughs> I, have, I, I talked about that yesterday when, when whites have this um, concern about appearing prejudice. Yeah. So yeah. it would be interesting but, if you take this study now and find a, a majority black or Asian or Hispanic environment where whites all of a sudden get introduced, do those things reverse? Right. So when whites and Asians are interacting with one another, is that Well, no, where the whites are. And the whites so have, are the minorities. Oh. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually white. yeah, that's like that that very well could happen. I, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. We have a question along the same okay. lines that really gets kind of a fair question, really. But the randomization is pretty essential to what you Mm -hmm. you do mm -hmm. but the most intergroup interaction is not to the random assignment, but right. to the large or smaller or large element of choice. Right, exactly. I just wonder if you thought about how that, I mean, the roommates know it's kind of luck of the draw, they've ended right. up somebody. Right. Um, but mostly we're, well, it's somehow on the choice. Yeah, yeah, I mean, if you're. Does that affect the liking and Um, I, I, I think so. I mean, this is, this is a, um, a problem, so I also do work on intergroup friendships, and some of the work there shows that intergroup friendships, um, if you've developed a, a friend, a, a close, you know, relationship with someone of an outgroup, um, it actually makes your experiences with other outgroup members um, more positive. Okay, that's great, but how do you actually develop <laughs> the, the outgroup um, friendship from the beginning? Because people do avoid contact um, with one another. Um, I do think, though, um, getting at what you're saying, I think there are enough situations, I think there are 
plenty of situations where people have to interact with um, our group members and they can't avoid it. So, you know, the college roommate situation, the classroom situation, the, imp the work environment. You have colleagues. Um, sure, you may go this way when they go, when they go that way, but in meetings, um, you're at the same table with the person. So I do think there are situations where these goals are relevant, um, you know, that they, they really do come into play. Yeah. Thank you for your presentation. Thank um, if the expectation of the study is to create a more in a democratic society, mm -hmm. a more harmonious campus, mm -hmm. uh, a more conducive working environment, it mm -hmm. seems to me that the study itself is uh, an indication of the need for a deeper understanding of the perceptions and beliefs that these young people are bringing from the larger society mm -hmm. to this confined mm -hmm. setting. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering the extent to which the study or the lab you're engaged in is thinking about going deeper into analyzing the sources of these perceptions and how they uh, manifest themselves in the young people's, uh, how they see each other and how they react to mm -hmm. each other. So, just make sure I understand the question. So, why, where do the goal to be light comes, where does that goal come from, and where does the goal to, to appear competent come from? I mean, I, I think what I was trying to argue in, in the talk is that it really comes from, people are aware of the stereotypes associated with their group. So, African Americans on a college campus, they are aware that the stereotype in the larger society is that they are unintelligent, that they're lazy, um, the stereotype for whites, they know the stereotype is that they're biased, they're prejudiced, um, they treat people unfairly. And you know, there's data in social psychology that shows that people are aware, whites are aware of that stereotype that is coming from the larger society. So I do think that uh, you know, we call them meta, meta stereotypes in social psychology, how I think I'm being perceived by the outgroup um, individual. So I think on the college campus, so you have these individuals who have these goals that are coming from the stereotypes that are out there in the larger world. Does, is that what you? I, I, I see, I'm just suggesting, you know, like this study, I, I can't reference it, but I'm sure you're familiar with it. Okay. came out of, uh, I think, UT Austin, um, mm -hmm. where three-year-olds are already uh, prejudiced uh -huh. uh, in terms of their uh, racial, knowledge and uh -huh. understanding, differences, etc. Mm -hmm. All I'm suggesting is um, when the young people are already in college, uh -huh. it's a lost cause. <laughs> 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 Let's hope not, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> if, if, if you go on this point, the most civic-oriented, public discourse, understanding, democratic society, a harmonious environment, we need to go further, further down. Yes, yes. Um, I agree. And so, I don't know if at toddlers are going to have the goal to be liked and the goal to be respected, but given, I mean, I, I would argue that, I mean, maybe not. Yeah, I, I'm going to take that back. I mean, if they're aware of the stereotypes associated with their group, okay, there may be some current concern about how they're coming across in intergroup interactions. I mean, I don't want to say three-year-olds have these goals, um, but I think that they, be, 
once they become fully aware of the stereotypes and, and are old enough to really process what it actually means, that I do think that they will enter these interactions with these goals. Now, how young that is, I'm not really sure. I don't know if it's seven, three, or you know, 10 years of age. I could, I could do the study, um, I guess, with, with adolescents and see. Yeah. for a very interesting okay. talk and for spending several days with us. And I'd like to thank all of you. If you join me thanking Nicole for her talk. <laughs> We're going to have uh, some um, cheese and crackers, and Nicole will be available for me to talk to one-on-one if you'd like for a little while. So please stay around and talk to some of your colleagues. Maybe across the country. Don't see you all the time. Thank you. Thank you. That was really good. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I tried well, to keep Aaron it short. I did a project with Michelle Alexander before she died in high school. It's around several parts of Ohio. Uh -huh. And one of the shocking, well, it wasn't shocking, it was interesting things we found. We had to get a lot of IRB approval because we are going to deal with kids who were 15 to 17. Yeah. And while they knew the stereotypes, they also hadn't learned yet uh, of what was politically appropriate or inappropriate to say. Okay, okay. <laughs> and it was really interesting yeah. that their self-governors right, right. on racial issues are not fully formed huh. by 10th grade, 11th yeah. grade. They're still willing to say right out loud right. what they hear at home. Wow. You coming to dinner? Yes, I'll be at dinner. This is Ishmael White. Hi. This is nice to meet you. You'll be with us at dinner. I'll, okay. I'll see you at dinner. Okay. I'm going to run home. Say goodnight to my son. And okay. I'll meet you. Great. I'll Great. Meet you guys at dinner. And this is Bruce Weinberg. We'll also be doing this. Okay. We'll talk about what he does. Like, okay.